Welcome to Schoolhouse, Equity in Education. This is Allison R. Brown, and I am your host. On today's show, we're talking about Miami schools. As school discipline goes, Miami might appear to be one of the good school districts. The district removed zero-tolerance language from its code of conduct, language that allowed students to be automatically suspended or expelled, often from school for minor transgressions or misunderstood behavior. The district declared an end to out-of-school suspensions as well. However, a new report by Power U Center for Social Change, a partner of the Communities for Just Schools Fund, and Advancement Project sheds light on harsh realities for Black and Brown students in the district's schools. The report, Miami-Dade County Public Schools, The Hidden Truth, is the voices of young people in the district sharing their own experiences, their observations of the systemic challenges in the district, and their demands for improvement. We have a full house today, and I'm so excited to welcome James Lopez, the Executive Director of PowerU Center for Social Change, along with Mako, Kim, and Kira, youth organizers for PowerU. Angelo Pinto is a senior staff attorney at Advancement Project, and Julia Daniel is a doctoral student at the University of Colorado and was the research lead for this project. Welcome all of you to Schoolhouse and thank you for being on the show. I wanna start, James, with you, if I can. What is the significance of this report, Hidden Truth? Yeah, the Hidden Truth in Miami-Dade Public School is really a report card that is a snapshot what is happening within the district after uh, the superintendent nationally said that he was going to end out-of-school suspensions. And what we're seeing is that suspensions are still happening, but just going by another name. And the significance of this report is how the district is implementing what they would call alternatives to suspension without necessarily using the language. And we see that what's happening in Miami could very well happen to other districts across the country where the superintendents are saying that they're no longer going to suspend people, but in fact are just doing different ways and different alternatives to do the exact same thing, which is pushing out students of color as a whole. And Julia, what did you set out to do with the research? What were you seeking to do, and then what were you able to accomplish? So working with the young people of Power U, what we saw, as James was saying, was that there was kind of an inaccurate picture of what was happening in Miami schools and in the success centers being told. And so we wanted to bring in the students' voices and experiences to really fill out that picture and paint a more accurate description of what is happening in the schools. So the young people's experiences with success centers and also with how they were being disciplined very punitively supported the fact that there's still a schoolhouse-to-jailhouse pipeline in Miami-Dade schools and that the schools have not really effectively invested in programs that work. So while PowerU has had a long-term campaign to get restorative justice put into the schools, to get more counselors and more supports for young people, all things that, you know, are shown to be effective at keeping students in school, helping them feel supported, and uh, being able to succeed... The district has not invested in those, especially in schools that serve largely low-income black communities. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted that story to be part of what was happening. And so the district couldn't continue to say that they had these success centers that were effective, but that the success centers were actually, A, not being used. You know, 
students weren't being sent there. They were still being sent home, often without suspension papers, or they weren't told about the option of success centers. Mm -hmm. uh, B, transportation was not provided to them, so they were inaccessible. And C, there was no instruction or, you know, ways for young people to figure out what, you know, address the issues that were kind of underlying what had happened and repair their relationships with their teachers. So we set out to include more student experiences in that because our young people had their experiences and their stories, but we also knew to fully paint the picture we needed to talk to more students. So they spoke with over 600 other students. Around half of the students that we spoke to from the schools we're working in reported that they feel supported and respected by their teachers. Similarly, only about half felt like their schools had the resources that would help them learn. Mm -hmm. With respect to the discipline, over half of them felt that the discipline wasn't fair and that the discipline strategies were not beneficial to the students. And they also reported that the presence of police officers in the school did not make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. In the success centers, this is a staggering number, from the students that we surveyed who'd been to them, 79% said they didn't get any instruction while they were there. Yeah. And then the other piece that this report really tries to draw out is especially how black female students and uh, LGBTQIA students are experiencing gender justice and reproductive justice or the lack thereof in the schools. So one thing that the report really highlights is that less than a third of the students that we surveyed felt like their school deals with sexual harassment effectively, and less than half felt that their school effectively prevents students from being assaulted or touched inappropriately. Mm -hmm. So we know that there's a lot of issues happening, and this uh, research and survey really confirms that it's not just a few experiences, but across the board, students are not feeling supported, are not feeling safe, are subject to sexual harassment and assault, and are not being protected or supported by their schools. So James, how did this report come to be? What were the circumstances that led to the creation of this report? Uh, Miami-Dade Public School, is, the district is sort of seen as a model for progress nationally, and people really sort of took notice when in 2015 the superintendent named that they're going to end out-of-school suspensions. And on top of that, the district has been receiving a lot of acclaim for what they would say just improving school ratings and school gradings, ensuring that the schools are safe and supportive. Mm -hmm. And when we were having young people come into our organization each day, they were giving us a different narrative of what was happening in the district. So through our work and just having conversations uh, having focus groups with young people, we saw that the actual narrative that Miami Dade Public School was putting out around safe and supportive schools did not resonate with our black students and brown students in the district. Mm. So we began to think about what would be a report or what would be a, a way where we can actually combat the narrative in a way that's productively going to ensure that our folks are being nurtured and supported as the district says that they are. Angelo, from the Advancement Project's perspective, how did you decide on Miami for a deep dive like this? Well, I mean, I think Miami is one of the largest public school districts in the country, so that's important. And, of course, Power U has been a longstanding partner, but I think the other component is that we've seen some different kinds of things happening in Miami that we wanted to draw our attention to. We saw the expansion or this new, what they call an innovative look at school discipline around success centers, and we know this is likely, something of that form is likely to what we'll start to see around the country, with school districts saying that they're proactively addressing school discipline, they're taking a new approach to punishment, 
while at the same time really not doing anything to mitigate the true challenges that folks have brought to their attention. So we saw a better place in Miami to dig in, dive in, and highlight that this alternative success center is in fact not doing what it says it's doing. Let me start to talk through some of the demands that are in the Hidden Truth Report. There are four key demands here. And the first is it's invest in lifting us up and divest from pushing us out. And again, from the student perspective, some of the data in the report show that the school district, the Miami school district, spent over $22 million on police officers and security personnel in one school year. And that was 10% of their overall budget. That's a lot of money and not similar amounts being spent on counselors and staff training and whatnot. So, Kira, what, what is the importance of this demand to invest in the good things and divest from those things that are not working as well? I feel the importance of investing in um, counselors and divesting in police. It's important because, like, a lot of students, they may feel uncomfortable, feel like they're in a, a jail cell, prison, being around police officers, um, security guards, or walking around in the school. And then if you have, like, only three counselors with, like, 1,200 students, how do you expect these students to be able to actually go to someone to talk to when something is wrong? And being able to invest in more counselors will be like being able to uh, actually being able to place like a situation mm-hmm. because a lot of times even like in the community like they can not like go home and talk to their parents as comfortably as they would with somebody that just at random. And taking money out of the line items and budgets that pay for police officers and security officers and putting it in those things that we know work well to support the healthy development of young people, the healthy relationship and trust building that's necessary for young people to be able to function. And just as you said, Kira, to be able to trust people who can listen to their stories and help them to know exactly what to do and exactly what they've done right. It's important and uh, creating environments that are safe and healthy and supportive rather than environments that further criminalize them really is the direction we need to go. You know, the second demand, I think, speaks to that also. And Kim, I wonder if you'll talk about this very innovative approach to reproductive justice and the demand for reproductive justice. What does that mean, and what do you mean in the report by reproductive justice? Basically, we're also talking about, like, the different types of sex and safe sex and sexual harassment and assault, because most of the time, the women inside of our Miami-Dade public schools feel like they have, like, nothing is being done about it. So that's where we feel like we should have reproductive justice into play. And, you know, there's a quote from the report. It says, I know a few people who have been sexually assaulted. It happens so often, like boys touching on girls without consent, that sometimes they see it as something that's normal now. People just laugh it off now. The girls think that it is something that's right now. They think that they can't do anything to stop the boys. 
The lack of action by school administration has created a culture in which sexual harassment and assault are permissible and routine. Sometimes it is the girls touching the boys without consent, and the boys think it's normal too. We're not taught anything about sex. It's like a taboo topic. I think particularly in today's political and social climate, it's impossible for this not to resonate. James, how can schools really make reproductive justice a priority? So just to touch on some of the things that Kim had mentioned, you know, we really think reproductive justice within schools, a lot of the ways does start with comprehensive sex ed and just really supporting and nurturing the autonomy of everyone within the school. So not only does that mean comp sex ed, but that also means just teaching consent culturally within the, within the schools, really making sure that security guards and even staff are not participating in slut shaming or pushing out young girls just based off of what they are wearing, and really making sure that there's an increase in investment in young parents uh, and resources that they would need to make sure that if they choose to have a child while going to school, that they can still receive uh, full education and still reach their full potential, which ultimately means just investing more and just wraparound services and mental health for our young people. And then the third demand in the report is about restorative justice. And from the, the student surveys that you all conducted as part of this research, there's a quote that says, teachers tend to kick students out too fast, and the principal listens to the teacher more than the students. Angelo, talk about restorative justice. What is it, and why do you think it's necessary in schools? Some of what James mentioned, and I think what Power you is framing in this report, is a new way to look at restorative justice. And I think it's really a, a lens of reproductive justice. And one of the things I first heard when walking into the doors of Power U about a year ago was that you can't have restorative justice unless you have reproductive justice. Um, I think at, at its foundation, at its core, restorative justice seeks to restore both parties that are harmed in a trauma um, or that are harmed in an incident. But I think more than that, you have to create a culture in the school that says, you know what, we're here to restore young people as a result of whatever they experience. But I think going further than that, now we're saying is that how do we create an environment, an atmosphere, a school culture where girls and boys feel like their desires to honor their reproductive justice is also taken into account and honored? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we are now. And then the last demand is that the school district tell the truth about discipline in our schools. Kira, what does that mean? What does that fourth demand mean? Well, with data transparency, we believe that youth and parents should know how effective or ineffective um, professionals really are. They should know the process for being sent to a professional, is transportation provided, and what is the strategy for ensuring that students are learning the same curriculum in professionals as they are in their original classrooms? Mako, tell me, what do you hope to accomplish with the school district using this report? We definitely like want to save and support the schools for our students because we definitely need them to learn and grow. And not even just in school, you know, like even in like their communities, because you know it all starts with community. It all starts with school. So just actually like bring visibility to some of the things that we want to um, see, mm-hmm. and just actually pulling the school board accountable to some of the things that they said 
they're going to do, and also making sure that it's done effectively. Kim, what might you do next to organize using this report and the data that you've you've found? I think our next steps would be like having more conversations with our administrators inside of our Miami-Dade public schools and like building more relationships with, with students and getting to understand them and like also setting up meetings with our school board. Julia, for those folks who are listening and they're thinking about doing their own research in their school districts, what's the phase two of this work? So I think the research is really in service to the campaign and the strategy that the young people are working with. So right now, because of the report and because of their continued organizing, the young people have been able to meet with some school board members and have been really um, pushing for these demands and for the demands that they've been organizing around for a long time for restorative justice in their schools. And so we know also that as districts make these promises and say they're going to be doing particular things, where the rubber meets the road is actually in the implementation and in them funding it and in them making it happen. So as we're working with the school district in, you know, getting restorative justice and getting these real meaningful alternatives to success centers um, and ending the schoolhouse to jailhouse pipeline, think uh, comprehensive sex education in the schools, the work will be kind of in monitoring and making sure that they're doing the right thing. Unfortunately, the history of our experiences with the district uh, in Miami-Dade has been that they oftentimes publicly will say what they think sounds good and what makes uh, Superintendent Carvalho look good and <laughs> gets him some kind of national play, but he simultaneously refuses to give credit to the young people that have been organizing and bringing these ideas of restorative justice to him, mm -hmm. as well as doesn't actually fund programs that are proven to be effective. So we will continue to be watching the district. Our youth are on the ground. They're, you know, recruiting more young people and talking to people and just really have their ear to the ground to know what's happening. So the district cannot continue to keep exploiting black youth the way it has been. Angelo, what are some of the national implications of the research in this report and the methodology and the findings? One of the most important national implications, as I stated earlier, was around this idea of keeping our eyes open and peeled on strategies that school boards and administrators take that look like they're trying to address school discipline in a productive way, but in fact are not doing that. Mm -hmm. I think that's key. I think the other piece that's very important is lifting up the voices of young people. I think young people around the country are saying what's wrong with the schools they go to. They're drawing attention to it. They're willing to speak to it. I think they're willing to be a part of changing those things. If administrators, superintendents, and school boards give them an opportunity to do so, and I think this is the first, one of the first moments where we're saying, let that happen. Mm -hmm. Let a school board or a superintendent open the doors for that to take place. And I think if it doesn't, you'll, you'll start to see, or at least you will need to see, more students taking it into their own hands to grade their schools and say, well, this is how we feel about the school, although the school may say something different. And so there's a real sincere and genuine opportunity created for youth input to play a role in the experiences they have every day with their education. So, Kim, final word to you. Tell me... When will you know that, that schools are really better places for young people? Describe that school as if it were, were a reality today. 
I would know that it would be a better place is like when our students are being treated as if they were students and not like inmates because and like like at our mommy David public schools there are like less counselors as we would say before um than police. And if we had like more counselors where our students could go and talk to and like just be themselves and actually have someone to express themselves to, I think that'll make our school a better place. Thank you, Kim, and thank you all, really, for this groundbreaking report that really does take the the Miami school district to task, but in doing so, takes so many school districts to task with the voices of young people centered, with the research questions developed in partnership with researchers, and really making sure that this report is written from the perspective of students in the buildings who are experiencing every day the systemic and structural realities in their their school district. So you should be very, very proud. I have been joined today by PowerU Center for Social Change. James Lopez is the executive director. Mako, Kim, and Kira are youth organizers there at PowerU. PowerU Squad, if people want to find you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can reach us at uh, info at uh, or they can go to our website, which is uh, org as well. Angela Pinto is a senior staff attorney at Advancement Project. Angelo, if people want to connect with you and find Advancement Project, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to the website, um, advancementproject.org, to find us. They can find me there, Angelo Pinto and also a number of the folks who are working on school justice and our education equality work. Julia Daniel is the lead researcher for this project and is a a doctoral student at the University of Colorado. Julia, if folks want to find you, what is the best way for them to do that? I think on Twitter, so Julia underscore Daniel, no S, at 16 on Twitter. And also I would encourage folks to follow PowerU on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Thank you all so very much again for being on Schoolhouse. Remember that you can follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter and find the Communities for Just Schools Fund at cjsfund.org. Thanks to all of you for listening. Have a wonderful week.